Hello and welcome to another episode of the Marvel's World podcast, a podcast where we speak to fascinating people. I mean, absolutely amazing people. If you're a creator, these are the people you want to talk to if you want to make what you love your full-time job. And if you like the podcast, you know what to do. Just share it with your friends and give us a review on iTunes. Now, today we're in for a special episode. Most of the episode is based on like sort of people that creators that are working full time or sort of businesses or motivational speakers that have made it what they love their full time job. But today we're in for something very different. There's all sorts of rubbish going on in the COVID conspiracy theories, all sorts of lies and all sorts of chaos going on in hospitals across the world. Now, guys, you're in for a treat. We've got a very funny and fantastic comedian called Duffy Connors. He is a comedian I've gigged with many times on the London circuit. And since lockdown, he's been forced in a situation where he has been working in many different hospitals. And effectively, he is here to give us the full lowdown of what the hell is going on and how much of a bastard COVID is. Hello, Duffy. Hey. <laughs> I'm ready to complain. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Duffy? I mean, like, yeah, just just tell us a bit about yourself for the people that don't know you. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, I'm Irish. Um, I moved over to London about two and a half years ago to do more stand-up, which hasn't been working out the last <laughs> 10 months or so, unfortunately, uh, with the current situation. Um, which would, I, I know a lot of people moved back home during the start of this, but for some, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, I like London, so I felt uh, it better to be in lockdown yeah. here than at home, you know? Yeah. Um, it's better to miss your family than to be stuck with them all the time and hate them, I think. Oh, that's what I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> yeah. We could swap places, maybe. Swap yeah, bodies. Exactly. <laughs> No, so I mean, like you are a comedian, all that, and like, tell us your sort of little bit about your journey to to comedy and like um, how it all worked. Like, you're from a small village in Ireland, sort of. Is yeah, that right? yeah, that's it. So I um, I grew up in, yeah. So I was I was I was born in Dublin in 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 the city, but uh, by two weeks, my uh, uh, my mother moved back to where all the family is in the little village in Mayo on the west coast of Ireland and um yeah like I think that's what, what what made me very interested in uh I was always writing stuff when I was a kid you know like uh uh poems and songs and uh stories because when you're in the village and I, and I didn't really have the internet till I was like 13 or 14 really uh so you, when you have that level of uh free time <laughs> you almost have to be creative and I used to read like so uh, you know I, used to, I read a lot so because I, I didn't we didn't even have many tv channels we had just like the irish tv channels when i was young so it was kind of be creative or, or go out of your mind oh, okay of course <laughs> and um one thing i want to look at is like so like how did you start so you did comedy in dublin didn't you or like in ireland first and then before you came here yeah so when i was looking at um so when I was 18, well, yeah, so when I saw stand-up on TV, on Irish TV, when I was like 11, that's when I realized I wanted to do it. So when it came time for college at 18, you know, when I was looking at universities, I, I, would, I would Google the town and make sure that they had gigs there because I wasn't going to go another four years without, you know, starting to do this. Uh, so I looked, at, uh, I looked at a few Dublin colleges and I looked at uh, this one in, in Galway on the West Coast, where that, that's where I ended up going. And, so I, I, was, I was based there where there wasn't a crazy number of gigs. Um, but uh, because there wasn't a crazy number, I was able to, you know, I started my own club, which I ran for a couple of years with, with a couple of guys in Galway. And uh, yeah, I traveled to Dublin and Cork and, uh, you know, other parts of Ireland to, to do gigs, which is fun, you know, kind of being a, <laughs> a road comic. You know, so what you do is, what, what the cl clubs try and do is they try and have a, a Galway night, so they so they'd get a Galway driver, and then a couple of us other comedians would come down in the car with him. So it would cut down on expenses for all of us, and we could all feel like we were on a, a little, you know, one night tour. Ah. And how how does the Dublin scene compare to the London scene? Because I know that it's a much smaller scene. 
um, gigs away better attended, but maybe perhaps they're more very much one-liners over there. That's what I noticed. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do know a, a few one-liners over here, but there's there's kind of you do you do get a bit of everything. I think there's, you know, we have some musical comedians, we have you know storytellers. That's a big Irish thing as well. But yeah, we definitely do have do have some one-liners who. Uh, uh, who, who I know well. One of them, one of them actually uh, came to Edinburgh show, the last last Edinburgh show I did, um, which was uh, he, he commented on uh, uh, an hour show seems a lot longer when it's one liners, <laughs> uh, because you know every joke is five seconds, so you get you know hundreds of jokes instead of you know five stories and you know however long yeah. the storyteller might go on for. <laughs> of course, and so how? Oh, yeah, how so, so, you know, your question about the how the Dublin scene compares so uh so with Dublin it's there's kind of a lot there's kind of a decent amount of gigs but there's very few of them would have entry for kind of people who are starting out you know a lot of them just kind of book professional comedians um you know other friends so it, it's very hard to kind of get they don't have as many you know like in London, they have lots of gong shows and competition shows to get yourself slots. Uh, but Dublin doesn't really have that as much. There's kind of three or four gigs you can kind of do. But that's it. Like, it, you can't really do four or five, uh, you know, as, a, as an early comedian, you can't really do four or five gigs a week. Like, you, 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 well, you could in London and hopefully we'll be able to again soon. And so, like with any sort of comedy scene, you you have to do a lot of jobs that you're not necessarily that that are hard and not necessarily what you want to do, and like since you move over to London, you've been doing a lot of different jobs, haven't you? Like being a flyer, and I mean just before we sort of start start the podcast, you said you your role as a flyer led to you becoming an NHS porter, as it were. Yeah, because um, so as a flyer, we all work for this agency, and you go on, you know you know, you're representing different brands, you know, advertising different stuff. So, and because the work is, you don't have regular hours, you kind of grab what shifts you can. A lot of us work for different agencies. And this one agency uh, quickly, uh, you know, as soon as COVID kicked in, they started, uh, well, they, I guess they seized the opportunity to supply hospital staff instead of their usual the jobs they do so uh and, and someone in uh in the group chat for the flyer and company i work for just mentioned oh hey if anyone's interested in in some hospital work they're working they're looking for cleaners and some other jobs if anyone wants to get involved and by the time i joined they filled the uh cleaner slots and uh, they were looking for hospital porters so i uh never kind of saw myself working in a hospital but you know everyone's had to reassess uh their plans yeah and I mean, following on from that, it must be, as I said before at the podcast, there's been a lot of theories going on saying this is virus, is a load of rubbish, it's not real, it's all of that. I mean, is the virus real? I mean, well, they say, you know, if um, if you're going to commit a murder, do it on your own because you can't keep a, you know, uh, more than one person can't keep a secret. So the fact that, you know, the the, the hundreds of millions of people if not billions, that would have to be all working together to create this conspiracy uh, is just insane. Um, <laughs> and obviously, yeah, when you're when you're working in a hospital, if you just go to a hospital at the moment, you're going to see enough to know, I know uh, to know this is real. You know, to see to see people hooked up to all these machines, you know, struggling to breathe is uh, is, you know, is terrifying. You know, and um, you know, as a hospital porter, yeah, obviously people always die in hospitals, but uh, the amount of uh, people you, you, you know we now have to bring to the mortuary compared to well, from what from what they tell me in normal times the the amount of uh, people they have to bring to the mortuary is just uh, just crazy. So it's having definitely having a psychological impact on on a lot of us. But how is it for the NHS workers? I'm pretty sure definitely there's a lot of mentally it must be very straining for for everyone that's there, including yourself, and it must be a very stressful environment. Like, how do you go all go there without going completely mad? I mean, you know, stand-up <laughs> comedy is mad, but in this situation, you know, you worry about bombing and dying. But in this situation, it's fucking real. 
it must be whoa i don't know i can't imagine how it is for you and the people there yeah i mean i i have the advantage of uh of youth in terms of i don't have to worry about getting it on the same level that the older porters do so some of the porters who are considered high risk are kind of just uh are told to stay home at the moment because it's too much of a risk for them to come in um but yeah i mean it is uh you know there are nights where you're just constantly on your feet and uh so of the agency people i started with there's only kind of three of us left who walk walk there regularly at this particular hospital and of the three of us uh one of them two weeks ago he woke up uh with with a bad, bad back vomiting and the other one didn't come in yesterday because he's experiencing uh, a lot of back problems just from this constant moving these patients around uh trying to get them where they need to be and uh you know yesterday i woke up with uh, with leg cramps in both legs because it's just hard to the physical toll as 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 well as the psychological is it's tough to deal with just constantly and what about the doctors and the nurses and all that and the people like govern you how are they coping with it all yeah i think i think the everyone is struggling because i remember there was uh just after christmas when there was the huge spike uh, there were these two nights in a row where just everyone was losing it. One night, these, I, I, there were these nurses shouting at each other. And the next night, the porters were shouting at each other. The cleaners were shouting at each other. It was, uh, you know, people just needed to vent. And they're venting at each other, which obviously just makes things worse. But, uh, you know, it's hard to control yourself, especially when, you know, you're walking these, you know, uh, you're walking long hours. You're, you're, you're constantly moving. You're, you're not really thinking straight. Uh, and that and that leads to mistakes as well, which is obviously very dangerous in a hospital. So, yeah, uh, yeah, everyone's definitely feeling the feeling the struggle. And not only that, though, like you have to also consider that people who have other things like mental health or like like cancer and all these other things. That I mean, the treatment they're getting because so much has been devoted to COVID. My God, there's yeah, the amount of deaths that are being inadvertently caused by COVIDs you know, much more than what you're seeing on the chart. Yeah, I mean, the kind of symptoms that people would usually check, you know, go to their GP for, now everyone's afraid to, to check. And, and the longer you, you know, you don't check these things out, the, if, if it is something like a, if it is something that's going to get worse, like a tumour or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of inadvertent deaths, as you say. So are things worse now than they were at the start of the pandemic? Um, so that's a good question. So, uh, it's, 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 I would say roughly the same. It's, it's, so they come up with different strategies all the time in terms of, we're going to put, uh, green patients, meaning, uh, non COVID and blue patients, meaning COVID in different areas and splitting them up. So they're constantly trying to, um, make it more efficient to, 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 get these people in and out and stop the spread as much as possible. Uh, I would say in terms of, uh, I'd say it's roughly the same. Um, I, it's maybe, I feel, well, I'm only speaking for the hospital I'm working in, but maybe the death count is a little bit lighter, but, um, and again, I'm speaking for the night. I work as a night porter. So, and, uh, there's good, and there's a lot more deaths during the day. So, Oh, God. there's more deaths during during the day. Yeah, well, just that's that's just generally how that how the hospital works. Because well, I guess the day is longer than that, um, and maybe more people in during the day. Uh, but yeah, but but the problem with the night is uh, there's a lot less lot less staff on in the night, especially when it comes to porters. So you know, uh, so so there are some nights where the night the night porters are just, just kind of bringing bodies to the mortuary. I, I work in A&E, so I, I don't really, the bodies more come from the, the wards, you know, where the, you know, where the patients are in bed, um, rather than uh, A&E for whatever reason. Um, so I'm not dealing with as many bodies as, uh, as some of the other porters. So, and one thing I want to look at, like they say that this virus is mostly killing older people. Hmm. I don't really want to ask you this question, but uh, is it, is it just the older people that are being killed from, from what you can see? Or is there, I don't want to ask this, but is there a variety of people that are being 
yeah. I, I will, yeah, I would say it's 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 mainly old people, but then there are people with, um, you know, people who have, who've, who have uh, other health problems that affect their breathing, like people who are very overweight or have lung conditions, uh, you know, other people who are vulnerable. Um, but uh, generally young and healthy people, you're not really seeing uh, die of this, which is which is good, obviously. But uh, it's still not it's still something to avoid because obviously, if you get it, even if it doesn't kill you, who knows how many people you're going to pass it on to? Yeah, and the other thing on top of that is like there's long COVID I hear, like where where people are still feeling the adverse effects of getting it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's uh, I don't really um, I I don't know anyone who's who's experienced that um. I've, I've talked to a lot of the other, a lot of people in the hospital who've had, who've had the COVID, but they've, they've gotten over it. So uh, okay. I don't know anyone who's got that. So is there a lot of people in the hospital that you're working with? Have a lot of them had it? Uh, I'd say I, I, I probably a decent percentage. Uh, 15% if I had to pull a percentage out of my head. 15. But yeah. Okay. One five. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe something like that. Maybe one in one in six, one in seven, something like that. Okay. Well, I mean that's that that's a lot less than I was thinking, considering yeah. that you're facing this thing head on, as it were. Yeah. And what... yeah, well, I guess I guess that's it, because because you're aware of the danger, you're, you're you're taking precautions, and of course, you know, some of us probably might have had it and and just not realised and been symptomless. That yeah, that happens quite a bit as well, because I heard with Jacob Hatton at the start of the pandemic, he had it. But his girlfriend and the other flatmate didn't get it. Yeah, it's it's a strange virus. And what what of so? Do you know of anyone that's had the vaccine? Yes, yeah. So um, uh, I I've talked to a few of the nurses and porters who've had it already. So I I unfortunately because I I work uh, uh, in a hospital through an agency, um, it's been slower. You know, I, I haven't I haven't gotten mine yet. But yeah, I've talked to some nurses and some some porters who've, who've gotten it, and it is a bit rough. Apparently, like uh, you know, they've experienced pain in their arm and struggling to sleep that night, and just felt kind of unwell for a couple of days. Because you know, so the the vaccine does seem to be a bit uncomfortable, but I guess that's the price you have to pay. Okay. And um, oof, what was? Yeah, I mean, it's how 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 is the situation like? How what have been? Do you have much interaction with the patients themselves, or? So uh, I I mainly just just transport them from place to place. So if if they're going for an X-ray, if they're going from A and E to the ward. Um, uh, I bring, you know, uh, specimen samples like COVID swabs uh, up to the lab. Uh, so I, so it tends to just be when they're on the move from one place to another. So, uh, and if they are going up to the, the wards, for example, to, to a bed rather than the, the trolleys and A&E, there'll be a nurse with me. So uh, if anything, you know, goes wrong with the patients in transit, uh, they're there to deal, deal with that. Okay. And... So it's just just very hard and very difficult. And what what is your message to all the sort of conspiracy theorists saying that this is all? Yeah, just tell me what your message is to them. Well, I mean, uh, I, I guess just the well, if the the thing about the internet is you can believe if you want to believe in any conspiracy, you know, whether it be we didn't land on the moon, who assassinated which person. Uh, you can believe if you want to believe in something a bit mad, or you know, if you want to believe that something's fake, you can find evidence is a strong word. You can find a video on YouTube to support it, um, or Facebook, or any you know, the, the internet, everything exists on the internet. Uh, <laughs> the truth and lies, and I don't know, I guess just, just to, I, to say the obvious, I guess what everyone's saying is, is listen to doctors and scientists um, and not people who are looking for views and clicks online. Hmm. <laughs> that, that's, and that's, I've had a, uh, do you know Dangerous Tea? No. 
Oh, okay. He's he's a comedian. He's a bit of a character. And so he's been sending all these conspiracy things. And it's a mm. bit like, you've got too much time on your hand, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a problem as well. You know, so many people are not walking and self-isolating, not socializing, that it is easy to fall down these rabbit holes. And what, I mean, from looking at everything that's going on in the UK, I mean, and the USA, I'm not really surprised that it's gotten this bad because there's so many reports of like people having raves, like illegal raves, or there's so many things that I've seen of having like secret parties and all these different things happening where they're breaking the rules. And, you know, so many people aren't wearing masks when you go out on the street. How can you not expect it to get to the level it's at now? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, so my best period in the hospital, for example, was kind of uh, early summer around. So when, when the original lockdown was kind of near the end, you know, the, the hospital really had sat and quieted down. You know, the cases were really falling. And then Eat Out to Help Out happened. And of course, you know, it was like going back to square one. And then at Christmas, it was like going back to square one again. And it's just, as soon as, you know, it's just politicians being afraid. They're, you know, they're afraid, they're afraid of being blamed for obviously COVID deaths and cases, but they're also afraid of even leaving the economy shut down one more day than is necessary. So they're afraid of, so they'll reopen everything for a few days or a few weeks in order to try and keep everyone happy. And then of course, we, you, you get to the point where you feel like, oh God, why did we have the first lockdown if we're just back here again? And Yeah, you know what? In the end, it is a bit stupid, isn't it? Do you want people to be happy or do you want them to survive? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the real question. And I'm sure in most cases, when you look at it, that, if people survive, that's more important than just if they're happy. Yeah, I, exactly. But, um, you know, people are, people are emotional, people are sentimental. Like um, the cases in Ireland, for example, were, were very low. But then after Christmas, they went up because uh, as many people kind of... So I, well, for, from the UK, for example, Ireland uh, stopped flights on the 20th of December. But anyone who got home, and I know some people who got home before that, you know, they're just going, you know, they're spreading the new UK strain to, <laughs> to Ireland and... Uh, now our cases are pretty high considering our population. Uh, so just one little, one slip up like that, even if it's, you know, you might think, oh, it was just for Christmas, but I don't know. It, it's, it, it definitely did a lot of damage. But the th yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? With the, I mean, they say politicians are evil. And I think that thing sort of says more so than this, because if you look at New Zealand and a lot of other nations, it's nowhere near as bad as here because they did as they were fucking told. In some cases, it's good to rebel, but you don't rebel with your health. Right? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, and, and you can see now, like people are always talking about, look at the levels of freedom people in New Zealand have now within their own country because they, uh, because they were so good at the start. And it's, I mean, I, I'm now thinking I want to go to New Zealand. Forget being in the UK or any other country. New Zealand, here we come. Yeah, but no, and it's just a pity because looking at like, uh, I mean, it's been a mess over here, but there was one day in Ireland, at least, where there was no new cases. So if, if we just kind of kept, you know, kept everything locked up, um, then, you know, we'd be over it now. But it, it's just like here, you know, flights are still coming in. Um, people are still coming in carrying the virus. So it wasn't, it wasn't allowed to fade out. Okay. Um... It's really, yeah, I, I, and to, to, inform, to really sort of give a picture, like to sort of persuade people not to fuck up and to do, not take the, the measures seriously. Could you describe how, the, how like a day to day of how it is now working in hospitals? Because it's obviously mad and you said a bit before, but like really just, just tell us why so many people that are breaking the lockdown need to shut up <laughs> and do as they're told to stop like tell us what's happening about how give us vivid images and yeah just tell us <laughs> yeah so um you know that so so I, as i say i work in a and e but what a and e is is constantly changing because uh one day what will be the blue area for the blue patients 
and the green area for the green uh, patients. Suddenly they have to use a new bit of the hospital for the green patients because there's so many COVID patients that in order to keep the people in the hospital who don't have it yet, they have to, suddenly I'm covering twice the area um, because so many people are coming in with the virus. And, and, the, and, and it's that whole multiplier of the more people coming in with the virus, the more it will spread um, as much as you can take precautions. Uh, you know, slip-ups happen, mistakes happen, you know, and of course, if, if anyone walking in the hospital gets it, even with masks and gloves and gowns and, and all the stuff we wear, you know, nothing's 100%, you know, you, um, you can easily spread it to co-workers or other patients themselves, so. Yeah, it, it hap- I'm pretty sure it's happening, what happens, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. There's, how many people in the hospital you're working, probably maybe thousands, and how are they going to not, not infect people with that many people? It only takes one person to be like, oh, my nose is itchy. Oh, yeah, and you get that. Yeah, as soon as you put on a mask and let's say you're taking a patient who's extremely vulnerable to the ICU and you, you're, you've attached all these machines, these fluids, these monitors, um, you know, oxygen, backup oxygen, all, you've got all this stuff and you're, you're moving them from a trolley to a bed and you could be stuck in this gear for an hour plus. And, you're, and yeah, if you get an itchy nose at the start of that, it's just torture because there's nothing you can do without obviously exposing everyone and making, well, making yeah, the whole PPE not, you know, not worthwhile. And how, how's, so yeah, just really sort of, it's so there's so many yeah and is is your hospital sort of on the brink as many people say of being over flooded i mean well yeah there are nights where um a nurse will ask me oh could you find a, a bed for bay eight and i can find a bed for bay because all the beds uh are being used or uh are broken down because you know the more you're you know, you're, the more that you're moving these these big beds around the hospital, you know, it's 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 getting knocked off elevators and walls, and the 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 equipment is slowly breaking down, and and uh, and and because you're trying to stop infection, with cleaning takes a while of these beds, you know, to, and these rooms, so patients are having to spend long longer in A and E, waiting for a room because these rooms have been deep cleaned. And then that, of course, means ambulances are waiting outside just to bring people in. So, and this, this, so you can get to a point where uh, there's just there's more and more backed up, and you're always trying to play catch up. Hmm. That's just. And how? And what about like in your fellow co-workers? Like how they? You told us a bit about how they cope with it, but I mean. What what have they been saying? Like from what you hear when you speak with the coworkers and on everything that's happening, what tends to be the general thought? And like, when do they see this? From the cases, are they getting better or are they getting worse now? Or when do they see this ending? And when, when yeah, what? Just tell us what's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I I guess when you're when you're walking in every day, you 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 just start to believe this is going to go on forever and. Uh, you know, a lot of the people I speak to think, oh, it's going to be another couple of years of this, um, fading out at least, you know, maybe not at this level, but it's going to be very, very slow to, to actually stop this thing. Uh, because when you just see, you know, after, after 10 months, it seems like we're as busy as we were to start. Um, even though occasionally, you know, we'll get a quiet period. And, but the quiet period is scary because, you know, as soon as it gets quiet, it's going to open everything up again. And the infection rate is going to shoot up, and then it's it's just you know going in circles. So yeah, there's there's a lot of pessimism I would say uh, among among the colleagues about this. And you know people will try and you know you 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 try and keep uh, morale up. You know you, you joke around. You know when you get a spare minute and you know try and uh, you know bond with your. But you know there's not much to talk about with them because nobody's doing anything. You you don't really have any. No one has any stories at the moment other than what just happened with the last patient but you know when you say about the government trying to make everyone happy but the longer this goes on the more money that you're going to lose so if they actually just make the effort that sorts out properly so it doesn't get out of hand 
and you're going to save money. So in the end, like, would you say that whatever, how long and whatever the government needs to do to get rid of this thing and make, you know, really bring it under proper control so it doesn't become a disaster, that should be the first priority rather than like give people what they want as a child. It's like a little kid saying, daddy, I want a car now. But if they don't earn it or if they, if they behave, don't behave well, why should they get it? Like it's like when things are sorted out, yes, you can sort of do others eat out to help out and all of that things. But should they, I think whatever the case is right now, it should be getting this thing sorted out. Yeah. Cause we, we, you know, we all talk about, you know, all the stuff we miss, you know, uh, you talk about, Oh God, can't wait to get back to the pub. But when, when we actually, when the announcement comes out that, Oh, we're easing lockdown on this date, as much as we want to get back to doing fun stuff, we do go, Oh God, the next few weeks and months in this place are going to be chaos. So as much as we, you know, everyone wants to go back to normal, we know that going back to normal for a few weeks, is just going to do so much more damage in the long run. So what you said there about it being a disaster, does that mean that so many departments within the NHS have to actually sort of all sort of squish together? And so what adverse effect are you seeing it having on, I don't know, people in different osteopathy or others, all these sort of specialist regions at the hospital? Well, the, 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 I guess the, the example that comes to my head is uh, uh, the pediatric ward and the pediatric A&E uh, in the hospital I'm working, it, it just, it, uh, they, they, they shut it down and it's not there anymore. They, um, so, you know, child patients will have to go to a different hospital, which is obviously, you know, if you live right beside this hospital and now suddenly you can't go in there, right? you have to go to another one, you know, that makes it harder for, that makes it harder for everyone, harder to get there, harder uh, to visit. Not that you are really allowed to visit, but say for the parent. Yes. And then, yes. Yeah. So it seems crazy, like, you know, when I heard, when, um, when I heard pediatrics wasn't going to be there anymore, I thought that's, that's insane. How can a hospital not have an area for kids, you know, young people who are, um, who are sick, you know? I mean, uh, obviously emergency cases, they'd be brought there, but then I guess transferred as soon as they can. So effectively, the only way to sort it out is actually to get a picture of someone who has a condition or something and say, listen here. You're stopping this region. Listen here, people who are not taking this seriously. You're going to infect me and stop me from getting help treatment because I don't know. I mean, I think if you look into every region of your hospital itself, there must be people, a lot of people that are dead because of this thing and because they're not received the treatment they needed. Yeah, I think I heard there was, I didn't watch it myself, but I think I, I, I was reading a post about there's some ad now where it's, it's, it's people who, who, who are actually suffering from COVID talking about how, you know, what an awful time they have had. Um, so I haven't seen the video myself, but I guess that's, that's something good to look up just to, to see directly for people who haven't seen someone who's, who's suffered badly with this to just watch that video. Okay. And do what I also want to chat to you about is what, yeah, how how do you see how do you see this thing ending then? Working hospitals. Um. So wait, wait. Um. I, I I guess just just it'll slowly become. I don't know. It seems like every time it yeah it slowly becomes less busy. They open everything up again. So if they could just commit to letting this thing peter out fully, not, you know whatever they did the first time where they waited for cases to get to a thousand or something or less. And then they started things up again. If you just really have to uh, commit to letting this thing die out completely. Yeah. The, not these circuit breakers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what was Boris doing? So he had tier four and then he had a tier five, tier six, and now it's a lockdown. Yeah. They just keep renaming it and, you know, I mean, what's the difference, I don't know, between now and what it was like back in, in March? They just keep rebranding it for some reason, like it's a, a failing new idea. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just can't get over what's going to happen. And what do you, s <laughs> and how, how are you going to, what are you going to, what's your, what are your plans for all of this? Like, what are you going <laughs> to, 
you're going to get the pen and paper. Have you done any gigs to let out some of the steam? No, I have. I mean, occasionally I'll, I'll, I'll write. Like, well, I think maybe the first couple of months working as a porter, I wrote, you know, material about it. But then very quickly it becomes routine. And you've kind of, it's rare something kind of new or, or different happens um, after the first couple of months. But, uh, yeah, so I'm not really writing much stand-up at the moment unless unless something new happens to me. Like, occasionally there'll be something amusing that'll happen in the hospital, like, like and not just bleak. Like, there was this, um, this, like, teenage girl who'd been there. This was back when we had a pediatric wing. But uh, there was a, uh, this teenager who'd been arrested. So there was a, a police woman there with her uh, while I was taken up to the ward. And she was like snapchatting me pushing her around the hospital um and the, the police woman you know gave me like a look of oh god these kids and i just kind of laughed because just the ridiculousness of it uh you know just just you 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 got yourself into some stupid accident you're in trouble with the police but you're still like <laughs> you're still obsessed with your social media presence <laughs> putting it on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, it could have been TikTok to be honest. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm. Uh, that's how you. I knew her age, you know. I, I bet I, I could barely recognize what app it was. It wasn't, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or something. I'd be more familiar with. Every every two or three years, it seems the young people move on to the newer, fresher, more modern app, and well, we get aged out. Yeah, well, it used to be Vine, didn't it? And then they moved it. TikTok's a new Vine, and I think it will go away within a few years. Yeah, exactly. It's just, uh, and it, it kind of, whatever your, you know, like Facebook was the thing, and then suddenly Facebook became the app that everyone's mother was on, and uh, then everyone moved to Instagram and Twitter, and yeah, just keep, just keep moving. Yeah, what's the next thing going to be? It's going to be the Duffy app. That could be a good name. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's it. It could be anything, and and that's why you know when most of these things come out you know mark zuckerberg usually buys them you know like with instagram he's like he sees he sees him being himself being usurped so he buys it up just in case it becomes the next thing uh what do i want to what, what do you feel how, how do you feel everything's going to recover from this like with the nhs i mean imagine the damage that's been done to it how is it going to recover from it I don't know. I mean, it's it's funny because when you think back to just before this happened, there was all that talk of the NHS being sold off, and just like what would have happened if that had been if it had been sold off before this whole thing started. So, I don't know. I mean, if uh, if if this whole thing leads to, you know, people voting out the Tories and uh, you know voting in a party who's not going to sell the NHS, uh, maybe in the long run, weirdly, this thing will end up helping the NHS and making it so it keeps going instead of being sold off and privatized like i guess the tories were planning on well i'm not too sure if this is a time to sort of judge the tories because it's it would have been difficult whoever was in charge i think oh yeah yeah but i just mean how they were going to sell it before and uh, uh yeah that, that's it but uh that is the thing yeah it, it really doesn't matter who's in charge now because everyone is just so unhappy yeah everyone the popularity of whatever party was was in charge when this happened is going to go down because again people just look for someone to blame and and what what do you make of these love island contestants going to dubai and living normally and then flushing themselves and getting paid all this money what do you think <laughs> of that and they, they were complaining saying one of them said oh it's so hard being an influencer in dubai in a bikini <laughs> just showing your body yeah i guess it's it's uh, that's uh, that's just the human condition. No one's happy. It doesn't matter if you're in the most privileged position at the moment. You're still gonna. I mean, there was like that um, that photo Ellen DeGeneres put out about her complaining about being in prison while you know she was in her mansion, and people didn't like that because it was you know so, someone who's more money than most um, complaining about their situation when everyone else is kind of suffering more. So I guess. I, I guess everyone just complains about their lot in life, even if it's comparatively much better. And what what what's your plan for comedy when it gets back to normal? Like, what how are you going to make most of it? Because I mean, you one thing, as you said, they they're very ungrateful. But for you, because you've been right through the trenches, 
you've got so much material to work off yeah. you've got yeah. so many stories to tell and like to some of the people that have maybe died that you see in the hospital or this and that maybe you owe it to them to do some make bring some humor for them yeah i mean i mean i mean that'd be great if something good comes of this like I, i'd be interested i i have been thinking about that since it's been so long since i've been off stage of when i go back will i be a will i be different on stage because i've you know had different life experiences you know will i um you know look at things a bit differently uh than i have before because just having this perspective after you know seeing all the stuff you're not you're not gonna you're gonna you're not gonna strip are you duffy you're not gonna <laughs> like you're not gonna do anything because we don't need to see that site duffy well i went from flyer to hospital porter so you know i guess maybe after this i will do another massive career change <laughs> you will be a stripper hello everyone <laughs> And you're just going to do one-liners in between. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, be a kind of burlesque act. <laughs> well, I saw that picture of you and Charlene and um, Nathan in Edinburgh. Yeah. And what... Has it made you more committed to comedy forever? Or, like, what what your thoughts about it? Because so many comedians have given up, even, like, pro comics at the top of the level. Yeah, I mean, that, that's uh, that's what I kind of bleakly said to myself. Uh, I was like, oh, well, at least I wasn't starting, you know, if if I kind of just become, if I save in a few months or maybe a year into being pro and then this had happened, it would be kind of a devastating blow. But because I wasn't really getting my money from comedy anyway, <laughs> um, I didn't really lose out too much financially to this. I mean, I guess people argue that in the long term, it's going to take a long time for comedy to, to come back. But um, no, I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do comedy because uh, as much as it's great, you know, hopefully it does come, become a career for all of us in the future. But uh, it is just a fun thing to do. So um, although I'll be rusty as all hell when I can finally perform again, I am looking forward to it uh, because it's just just what I like doing. And one other thing I want to ask, right? So what? from Ireland how are they handling it as opposed to here um I, I well to be honest I think we're um I mean kind of I think in Ireland generally the the country looks after you a bit better in terms of say um you know the money you're being paid to stay home I think is, is better over there than it is here um because I know a lot of people complain about furlough and you know really struggling at the moment um so I think the people that way are being better looked after. Um, and I guess there's going to be lockdown rule breakers everywhere. But uh, I remember when the, in 2008, when, uh, uh, w you know, when the economy crashed and countries like Ireland and Greece were out of money and in Greece they were protesting and in Ireland we didn't really protest because we just kind of, uh, because of our, our troubled history, we're just kind of used to being punished. You know, we've got this Catholic guilt. We feel we deserve to suffer. So we might not protest as much as other countries. <laughs> That's a good joke there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was still, I mean, everywhere, you know, you know, Dublin still had its, uh, a couple of, uh, you know, probably its fair share of anti-mask protests or anti-lockdown protests. So, I mean, people, yeah, people everywhere are gonna, gonna break rules and, and, and complain and wanna be out of this. Uh, and who, who, who? And yeah, everyone's just yeah, yeah. Everyone everywhere is just just bored and going out of mind. That's true. Is that why you're talking to me? Is that why you oh, chose? Sorry, to, is that why you chose to talk to me today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and one thing that could happen though, a lot of hospital workers could use a bit of comedy. I think you know, like when this is all over, give give hospital workers some comedy. I think they need it. Yeah, that's a that's a pity actually. I miss the uh, I miss the pediatric nurses because they were always more, they always seemed a lot more, they were more happy and friendly than than the rest of the nurses because they just, you know, they, they they love looking after kids and helping kids. Um, so kind of, and you know how they say, um, you know, we the walls your playground, but you forget about that. Other. Uh, so without that kind of element of youth to the hospital, I think that it is a little bit bleaker. But uh, yeah, there's still 
people in the hospital who, who joke around as much as they can to, to keep people's spirits up. Um, but even then, you'll see them have their days where they just, you know, they can't, <laughs> where, where the, the loudest person in the room is just quiet <laughs> because they, they just can't, uh, they can't, you know, you, you need other people to, even, even when you're um, a kind of optimistic, positive person, if everyone around you is negative all the time, it's going to drag you down eventually. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, Duffy, man. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but with regards to um, the whole, like working in the NHS, despite all the negatives that have gone on, well, what would you say the positives you can take from it or that you've seen? What are some of the, during these troubled times, what would you say is the best thing you've seen during this pandemic, hospital-wise? Um, well, I, I hope, you know, I, I mean, I can be a pessimist at times, but, um, you know, obviously at the start, there was definitely that um, from the public, that appreciation of the NHS. And well, just all around the world, I guess, of, of, of uh, hospital workers and, and people who are trying to get us through this time. So I think, yeah, kind of a respect and appreciation of the health of uh, people who work in the health sector is, is that's positive. And I don't think everyone will, will keep up that appreciation um, after this, but I think a certain amount of people will and hopefully try and instill that in, in, in the future generations. Yeah. And what, what is the, what is the thing that you've taken from this experience? Um, I get, I, I, I guess, just that. You know, well, I guess that old saying of, um, you know, uh, man plans and God laughs. Like there's, because we, you know, we all had various plans of, you know, our our our, our one year goals, our five year goals, our ten year goals, and for a lot of people, that's been, at least, put on hold for a couple of years, and uh, so I guess it just, I don't know. I feel like. Uh, insurance company is going to make a lot of money <laughs> uh, when this is all over just because people will become more cautious because um, you know you, you, I, I, a tendency we all have is when something's happened you think it's going to go on forever and that's why some people feel like this is going to go on forever but also um, you know when things are going good for people you know they, they spend money frivolously and, and stuff like that so I, I, I think uh, I think it'll be harder to, for everyone to be a risk taker after this. I don't know. I'm still going to try. <laughs> and what is the biggest lesson you've learned from all of this? Um, biggest lesson, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I suppose, yeah, listen to medical experts because I guess, you know, a lot of stuff you kind of wave off when they say this is unhealthy or this is unhealthy. And, and often they are wrong and things get updated. But, uh, yeah, I guess I guess they, they they as much as we I think I think we, we want to doubt medical experts because if you doubt them about how unhealthy something is, then you get to keep doing that thing without feeling guilty or worrying about your health. So we kind of want to think they're all oh, they don't know what they're talking about. But uh, I guess you you really do have to listen to them at the end of the day. And what what um what would you say what what values what um what values would you say you as a person have developed over time for everything that you've witnessed throughout your life including the hospitals and this pandemic what values do you think are important in terms of like how you live your life and in terms of the people you choose to associate with well something you definitely see in, in hospitals a lot i mean uh, it's just a just the selflessness, you know, like you see, you see someone who, uh, you know, they're helping this patient and the patient is, you know, shouting abuse at them and struggling against them and doing everything they can to make your job as hard as possible. But they're dealing with it calmly and, uh, well, not, yeah, not just calmly, but like friendly and, and, and trying to help that person as much as they can. Whereas, you know, your average person is going to, well, fuck you. So like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you'd be tempted to do is to tell them to fuck off if, you know while you're trying to help them and they're struggling against you to to not just give up uh on them i think takes a lot of a lot of selflessness and uh determination um uh and just see just seeing people who are who are built to work in hospitals who who have their personality type to 
to do this and not let it not let it wear them down so th- you know those kind of values are just you know i admire you know because um like as a porter like we were talking about uh i mainly just move the patients around you know i don't have the kind of patient contact that a nurse would have and i don't think i could i could do that um just just dealing with the patients uh and, and not you know not losing your patience with the patients yeah okay um and throughout all of this i just want to say um thank you for coming on the podcast duffy and i'll say honestly it's been good to catch up with you yeah no problem yes we're good to catch up (laughs) but yeah it's and thank you but most importantly though i think it's good thank you for sharing some of the struggles that a lot of nhs workers are sort of going through at this moment in time and i think one thing i want to do is what would you like to plug i guess just uh i don't have a hell of a lot going on at the moment but you know i could um i guess just my social media um uh duffy connor's on instagram duffy connor's comedian on facebook and ask duffy connor's man on twitter okay and anything else like i'm just looking my my laptop's gonna be iffy at the moment so i'm looking for don't worry sorry i'm not yeah my my laptop's been going funny all day so i'm trying to sort that out um but yeah thank you very much i will give you the link to the episode and like i'll edit it and i'll i'll probably finish it within a couple weeks or so um yeah i just want to say bloody good luck with everything best of luck with everything and i'll see you on the other side duffy Thank <music> you.